Cindy Temi. I'm Gracie May. I'm Ola Weo. And we are Frobies. Your favourite Afropop podcast. Oh, Season four, episode Letters and Numbers. Episode and... five, man. Come with oh. the energy. Guys, we've already failed. We've already failed in this season four. In season three, we were getting them right time after time after time. Do you know what it is? We it's just got so much content. That's what it is. We have got some, uh, do we share the exciting news or do we keep it for later for when we actually? I say we keep it for later. We, we keep it we, for later. Is that because you're not sure them. exciting news it is? Let's get this party started. How y'all doing, girls? There's context to the um, American accent, by the way. Um, shout out to Dr. Umar or Omar, whatever his name is. What a mess. <laughs> um, Gracie, do you want to go first? You tell us you're holding a fan. Um, this hammer tan heat is too much for me. So it's six, sorry. But, uh... <laughs> well, um, um, yeah, that's it. There's nothing else to say. I'm loving Nigeria. I'm still here. I'm never coming home. No, oh. In fact, that sounds very morbid i'm coming home just i'm not ready yet so yeah we're so superstitious as nigerians literally <laughs> i was having this conversation yeah, that does sound weird i'm never coming home <laughs> i'm not gonna die here i can't die here hello god forbid. sorry go on you have a conversation no no i was just i was having a conversation with someone about um like life insurance and they were saying that to have a conversation with Nigerian parents about life insurance is so difficult because it's like, ah, oh, God forbid. And it's like, well, no, it will happen at some point. Um, <laughs> um, and we we're talking about that um, and how, yeah, like sometimes we just like, depending on, I think it depends on financial literacy as well, but depending on that, how much they can push the conversation away based mm. on um, being superstitious, like Cindy said. But I think part of that conversation is also, depending on the age of the person having the conversation with their parent, is also probably encouraging the fact that you also have the insurance too, because we are also not, um, <laughs> we have to also be thinking about those things at our age. Um, and it's also slightly cheaper for people of our age as well. Yeah, I've got life insurance. I just sort sorted my supplement like a month ago mm. after going back and forth. So I actually had a policy and then I spoke to a couple of people, which is why it's good to talk to friends. And I realized I was paying like double the amount for half the money. So I went back to that girl and I was like, I was supporting you as a black female financial advisor and you've just taken like 100% commission. So what we're now gonna do is that. So yeah. Like naming I, and shaming? Like are you gonna name and shame? No, 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 cause she's still a black woman and I don't believe in tearing black women down. Cause she did find me a good policy in the end. Could you um just send me because I'm currently speaking to people about policy, so I just want to make sure that I'm not in. <laughs> that's not about to happen to me. Um. Yeah, if uh, I was told that for our age, especially because um it's supposed to be cheaper if you're under thirty and then under thirty five, because you're obviously paying for a longer period of time, that we shouldn't be paying anything more than like forty, forty five, depending obviously on how much you're getting and if it's life insurance, if it's critical damage cover and all the other stuff. So I think I've got like a combination of three. A month. And you're paying under 40 for all combinations. Mm-hmm. A month. Uh, uh, I've been misquoted. Yeah. I've been misquoted. Bear <laughs> in mind though, my initial quote was like 70 something. A my month. initial quote is like 130, Gracie. We need to speak. Okay, wait, wait, wait. What's your payout though? What's your payout? Um, the first one was 500K. But okay, then- so in my instance, yeah, because for me, I don't know that I want a funeral that's going to be worth 500k, so I think my coverage is only 200k. But even then, I don't know, what are you going to spend this 200k on? I'm not going to have debt that that's that much in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, in my, in my, like, what I've recently thought about, and you're right when you say that you should speak to people. So, like, I think one of the things that definitely drove my decision making was because I was just talking to friends and being like, oh, what do you have? What do you have? And then I really stopped and deep that all of the friends that I'm speaking to are married and or engaged. And so technically, all of them are basically taking out the cover. So if one of them passes, um, God forbid, mm-hmm. the other person gets the money. So in that instance, I was like, ah, well, it doesn't need to be 500K because it's not me that's collecting this money. So why would I insure myself for so much? Right. And obviously that has now changed my outlook um, and hopefully will change my premium, but it was very high. So quickly, uh, Zurich is doing like a 39 pound cover for 100k life insurance 
and 60K critical illness cover. Um, some people say you should also add income protection. So if you're ever out of work for like a long period of time, mm-hmm. but I'm paying my taxes. So I'm going to collect my CSA. What do they call it? Job <laughs> you, you see, <laughs> used to be JSA. Yeah. Yeah. Universal credit. I'm collecting all it, so I'm not. I I didn't do that one, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, just thought I'd throw that figure out there. Mm. I'm actually Oops. having to think that. because I feel like even my life insurance is less. Well, I can see the payment going out. It's definitely less, or maybe that just isn't life insurance. Who knows what that is? That's yeah. uh, it's definitely eleven <laughs> pounds. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm older. <laughs> you say eleven pounds? Yeah. Oh, but then you put your. But it's supposed to be more expensive the older you are because you've got lesser time to pay it. But she's been, you've had your house for ages. So I assume yours is also linked to your home. It is, yeah. But then she's been paying it since. Let me see. I know. Okay, yeah. So you would have got it in your 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mid 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's why. But it's worth like, yeah, it's a good point. Everyone should. Well, yeah. Seems like we're all alive. And, um, a mini financial literacy lesson just there. there Yay! We go. <laughs> I'm gonna go. All the Americans that said Daniel Kaluuya shouldn't have won the award for playing an African American. Oh my gosh. This can we just talk about Dr. Umar? I don't know about him, but let's you can do that. Lead the conversation. So I remember there was one episode where we spoke actually, and we said that it is really sad that you can have people like Katie Hopkins, Pierce Morgan to some extent that we could also probably throw in that in that um, regard. Maybe not, but in terms of this point, and that's like Nick, Nigel Farage, basically anyone that is on the right wing is right wing is a fascist, racist, bigot, whatever, whatever word you want to give them. And that You've these got guys Tommy can... Robinson, he's the biggest one. Yes, mm. Tommy Robinson. And these guys can exist and be have a platform that is essentially funded by people that also believe in their views to just be outspoken about things that are just completely immoral. But on the left, you can't do the same, right? And I said, it doesn't pay to have morals, right? No one's gonna fund you to talk about the good things. You have to then, you have to have book deals. You have to maybe do an opinion piece in The Guardian and um, that they only ask you um, about race relations rather than just societal issues. Shola, Shantae J, all of these people that you see that are trying to make a difference, right? The Black Car Talks, just putting that out there. Um, it doesn't pay to have social, to, to basically be on the left, left wing and shout about social issues. And then Gracie, you said, oh, but Dr. Uma, and you were like, oh, he's there doing all of this and so on and so forth. And then like, I know that's a massive aside from what we're talking about, but is it is is actually what we're saying that if you sit on either side of the fence, you're just as mad as the other side? Because he's mad. He's actually mad. He's mad, but he's not as mad as Tommy Robinson. He can't okay, be yeah. as mad as Tommy Robinson. There are levels. With specific, um, specific relation to what he said about Daniel Kaluuya, for anyone that doesn't know, Daniel won a Golden Globe, I believe, yeah. for his role as a portrayal of a prominent African-American figure, I forget the name. Does anyone remember? Was it Jesus and Judas and the Black Messiah? I don't know what the film was. I, I mean, I don't know what so the film he was. Was he the Black Messiah or was he the Judas? I, I ain't seen the film either. I haven't seen the films. I can't comment. I don't even know if those are roles in the films. <laughs> I just feel like that was- <laughs> I've seen it. Don't, don't do a Bruno, um, Frank Bruno on us guys. <laughs> Frank Bruno? Which- yeah, did you guys see when he said, I haven't actually watched the um, interview. Oh, yeah! So, I haven't seen that. What? We'll, okay, move on to, right. we'll move on to Harry and Meghan in a moment. <laughs> okay, right. I'll, I'll, I'll remind you, Gracie, I'll say what it is in a sec. But yeah, go on. Okay, but yeah, just in, in context of this, because what I'm going to say has nothing to do with being able, or with having watched the film, I should say. But anyway, African-Americans were upset that more and more Black British people are taking African-American roles. John Boyega got a Golden Globe for portrayal of an uh, African-American figure. Daniel Kaluuya also. They then decided to remind us that David Oyelowo played Martin Luther King in Selma. They reminded us that Cynthia Erivo played Harriet Tubman. And apparently there's this long list of roles that should go to African-Americans that are going to Black British people. Um, and obviously they're of African descent. And it's like, oh, well, Africans are the ones that sold us. So they can't play us because they don't know the struggles. And I'm not minimizing that it's acting they're playing a role they're playing a role so 
if Will Smith can do concussion in a bad Nigerian accent, Forrest Whitaker can do um, um, Last King of Scotland. Eddie Murphy can do Coming to America. Who was that we person can... that went and did, um, what's it? Um, was it? It wasn't Half of the Yellow Sun. Who was the person who played um, Nelson Mandela? Oh, um, I can see his face. I can't uh, remember. I don't, I don't remember who it was, but I remember thinking it. If you <clears> had to pick anyone, it really should have been Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, but whoever that person was, equally terrible accent, American. Yeah. Uh -huh. And this is the this is the issue, right? When Americans play other people, they never get the accents. They never really get the cultural references. But mm -hmm. when British people play African Americans, because we've been immersed, like African American culture is apparently like synonymous with black culture and they have the monopoly on what counts as black culture mm -hmm. um we get it spot on well i'm speaking from a british perspective i don't know maybe americans look at it and think oh actually it's not but from what i've heard it's all been criticism of the fact that he's black british not criticism of the type of acting the delivery the not nepo taking light mids podcast but okay cool <laughs> um yeah, so that, and then Dr. Uma was like, um, we can't take Daniel Kaluuya seriously because of his British accent. Mm -hmm. Something that you don't even hear in his role. Meanwhile, yes. we're meant to take Eddie Murphy seriously and come into America. All right, relax yourselves. And it was also the idea that he, like when he was talking, like the amount of things that he said that were just so, they were just so alarmingly, like, if there was, a, they were just so alarmingly like anti-black for the sake of this, um, for the sake of this narrative that he pushes, that I was just like, you're mad. You're actually mad because realistically, you as the one person that has a platform to mobilize liberalism from a black standpoint on the left, right? For you to talk and to some extent talk for like Afrikaans, right? With the K, for all black people of the diaspora and then then start pitting them against each other with with just statements out of nowhere, it was wild. And the idea that he did that, like it was just in a, obviously he does this often. He was just in a car off the cuff, filming himself talking, clearly not really thinking about it and all the repercussions. But the easiest way to take away from that argument was just the fact that, so what are the Americans doing of British accents and or African accents? But even more than that, right? Cause he was like, oh, you can't, I, I'm not gonna take it from a person, a black person with a British accent cause the British colonized us. So then that, by default, that means you also shouldn't speak English. Like, I just wasn't getting, I just... Yeah. Oh, and then he also said... Nothing. <laughs> sorry, he also said that the way that um, Daniel Kalula speaks English, he talked about the fact that he speaks English in a very British tongue, which is very anti-African. And it was like, but so how do you speak American English in a non-American tongue that is pro-African, Mr. Umar? Doctor. You ask him. Ah. Doctor. From where? So problematic. So problematic. Oh, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah we... But, you know, we touched on bad accents, so it's a perfect segue into... Coming to America. Insert burner, boy. Insert what do people think about that song? I can't lie to you, I can't remember. Why are you scratching yourself like that, Gracie? <laughs> Answer the question. Wait, let me play. I am happy that and I'm happy that Burner Boy's A and R is securing the bag with all of these high-profile features: John Legend, um, Sam Sam Smith, Sia, um, uh, Becky G. Atlantic is working overtime. Are you asking me specifically about this song? Because I can't. I was about. I was going to say yes. Yeah, now, now let's move away from the PR media representative answer. The song, your thought. I love Burner Boy. The song. I love John Legends. The song. There's somebody else in there. I've forgotten his name. Robert. Is it Robert? Robert. Is there a the quality there? of the song? There's an The quality of the song. Um, Cindy, you haven't spoken much this podcast. Do you want to go ahead? <laughs> Like I said, I don't, I ain't heard that song, <laughs> but I do know that I love Ari, Ari and uh, Nasty C, but I ain't heard the Burner Boy and I heard it, but I, I didn't remember it. I don't like the song. Okay. Why don't you like it, Ola? <laughs> I think for a song that is that iconic, you need to come with an equally iconic remake. Um, and I think John Legend's version of it is poor, in my opinion. And then Burner Boy's part saves it. 
but it doesn't take away from the iconic part of the song is the chorus to which they have taken away from already. Um, I wasn't a fan. What was the song again? It was the intro, isn't it? Yeah, Coming yeah. to America, it was the final song. And yeah, the third person I was thinking of was now Rogers. Maybe we should state what we expected from the film first. Okay. Oh, my first? Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't a fan of Coming to America 1, but maybe because I didn't watch it in, in, in its hype, in its glory, I watched it as, I'm not a film watcher, and I, I think I watched it on a plane because I was like, oh, this is a classic, I should probably watch it. And I saw it for what it was, this was probably eight years ago. So I saw it with fresh eyes, I didn't see it with nostalgic eyes, so I didn't have high expectations and my low expectations were met. <laughs> no. They were men low or they were managed so they were managed accordingly essentially. Um, I don't know if coming to America team was worse because I was like, maybe you guys should know better by now, but I it's a fictional country. We're still portraying fictional countries when there's a real Africa and a real Nollywood. <laughs> loud, loud it. Cindy, what were your views? Right, so I am a massive fan of Coming to America. One, it's actually one of my favorite films um, to watch. Um, now, going into number two, initially before seeing the trailer for it, I was like, why are they gonna ruin a classic, whatever. When I saw the trailer, I got excited because I was like, oh my God, these are like old faces. Having watched the film, I didn't expect anything of it. Okay, so therefore I was not, disappointed because I never ever tried to put it on a pedestal in any comparison to the original one the original one gave me was just fun it was old school it was they had funny bits there were bits that were hilarious funny again repeating myself but like number two was just it was just there for me like it was cool okay it was nice I think I was probably more impressed with seeing the old characters come back and I was like, wow, that's that person. And I was like, and even like, the, who was it that, I think it was Rick Ross that I was surprised at seeing, the most surprised. Obviously I'd already seen like Davido's tweets and it stuff like that. He was definitely filming in his house. That's why he was in that. Apparently place. so, I yeah. But then again, another thing is like, I, I can't tell which bits were real. So yeah, no, all in all, I wasn't like disappointed. It was interesting to watch, but I wasn't disappointed at all. There wasn't, I didn't feel like the storyline, I mean, Existed? I, yeah. I, I, it wasn't, it was cool. I liked the sun though. I actually did like, I thought the sun was cool. Um, tried to make it funny, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect anything from it and therefore I wasn't too disappointed from it. Um, yeah, so, so for me, um, I, same, I watched it with no expectations. The main reasons for that were, um, I watched it on the Saturday and Twitter had already berated it. Um, so <laughs> I was like, oh, right, okay, cool. Yeah, don't, don't expect anything. I think also, I said this before, but, any film that Eddie Murphy plays more than four roles is, is not a serious film. And that's more than two of... or even four? Um, I mean, what did he play two in Norbit or was it more than that? Oh, okay, fine. I get what is you Norbit mean. Natty Professor? No, Norbit's the one where he, um, the, the fat woman with the really skinny boyfriend. Fat woman. Natty Professor's, he's a fat man. Got it. <laughs> Noted. Um, didn't think of that. <laughs> but, um, so that's that's actually very deep that's very deep um but yeah so I just felt like when when um when he does that it's all bands right those are the films that his brother has written the script all of his family are all in in different roles wherever he can put them and realistically the script reads ad lib do you know what I mean like as in there's no real script that's usually what we get from Eddie Murphy films now to me I felt like one thing that I did like about the film, it gave me like Martin Lawrence vibes. You know, when Martin Lawrence just gives you stupid jokes, like in National Security, it's just the little jokes all the way through the film that make you laugh. The little one-liners and so on and so forth. That, they're not really funny, they're just silly, right? But that is a classic films of that time. Um, so I just really felt like it was, they did exactly that with better, with in 4K, 30 years on, and gave us a reunion episode. That that was that was what I thought it was. And I think based on that, because I didn't have any expectations and they delivered that, there was no character development, there was no plots. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was just like, it was like watching a reunion episode. It was like, 
oh, it's not that bad. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not, it didn't feel like a film. It felt like a reunion episode. Was I was just happy that I was able to use my Amazon Prime for something else other than deliveries because it's enough. <laughs> it's so true. Fine. Yeah. Um, so what I was mean, the final scores? Six from me. Oh, Cindy, you changed. Oh, that what's that? That's, is that bad? No, no, no. I think you're worse. I think you've gone down. Oh, no, it's not getting... Okay, six or seven. What? Seven, seven, seven. That was cool. Gracie? I'm going to be kind with a four. Yeah. <laughs> now, wow. I like the set design. The costume was great. I just didn't find it funny. And for me, it wasn't nostalgic. So, yeah, four. Fine. Yeah, fair. Um, I'll give it like a 6.5. I think it's one of those... I think you can just have it on in the background. Mm. Like, yeah. You can watch it again because you don't have to think about it. There, there really isn't even a climax in the film, to be honest. But anyway, it, it, it's just a very easy watch. Um, but the, maybe the nostalgia, nostalgia is the reason that I'm giving it such a high number, because it was, it just felt like Eddie Murphy 30 years on. Africa apparently hasn't changed, um, but yeah. No, but the characters have um, some of them. That guy looked like Donald Trump, Louis or Stewie, the one that the, the McDowell's employee yeah think of donald trump but anyway um <laughs> have a think i think it'll be really interesting to see what our audience think of it to be honest because we've we've already seen some of the twitter comments um so maybe if you haven't already had the chance to to watch it i think you guys should definitely have a watch and then let us know in our in our comments below um what you think which characters you were actually excited to see and which ones you you wish you could have seen um to be honest talking oh. about 30 years on though <clears throat> There's an interview that came out this week, which mirrored an interview that came out about 30 years ago. Ooh. Who wants to plug us in? Gracie with the connectors. She Is that you, yeah? With their segues. <laughs> oh, we like it very well segued. Yes, of course. Are you speaking of the Meghan and Harry and Oprah Winfrey interview that took place on Monday? Oh, yes, I am. How did you know? <laughs> Well, <laughs> I just knew. Well. Clarity, we've all watched it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Twice. Take it away. You say take it away? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so the highly anticipated um, interview um, by Harry and Meghan, um, well, with Harry and Meghan by Oprah Winfrey, um, aired on Monday, Monday the 8th of March. Um, I had a lot of people on Twitter, I don't know about you, quite a few people watched it on the Sunday um, on World Premiere. Um, CBS. <laughs> one of them, yes, we see you. I watched it on the Monday. Um, I really didn't want to give ITV any of my views, um, but um, I wait, waited way too long and then it was just easier to watch it live. Um, but a lot of people watched it the day before because they didn't believe that ITV were actually going to show the whole interview. There is actually a clip um, which wasn't shown on ITV um, it hasn't been said that the reason is because ITV were obviously trying to hide it. But if you watch it, I think CBS actually have it as an exclusive clip. So they're the only ones that actually have the clip. Um, so that wasn't aired on ITV. And that was um, something Prince Harry was sharing. But essentially, it was just lots of tea spilling, um, which we're all here for. Um, and it has resulted in so many more things. Piers Morgan is gone from Good Morning Britain. We thank God they asked, well, he apparently stepped down. But- he lost his job um, as of today, the 9th of March. You're about to lose your job. Hey, you're about to lose your job. job. You're about to lose your job. Just we, to say that before you move on, actually, just to note that the reason why, uh, well, not the reason why, we don't know whether he was going to be invested, well, he was due to be investigated following some of the reports, but bear in mind, Piers Morgan has had the highest number of Ofcom uh, complaints in 15 years as a result of that, that Monday. Source um, of the black card talks. Yeah, that's exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, um, we have definitely been um, all over that um, in terms of that. But yeah, highest number of of, of complaints. I think it was something around forty four thousand um, as of like midday today, um, which is wild um, for something that happened yesterday. Um, but yeah, so essentially lots of tea spilled. Um, some of the things that, and we can move into peers and him. Um, him, his actions in a minute, 
but let's actually talk about the interview. So I guess from you guys, like, what were your thoughts about the interview? Cool. So if I can go through some of the highlights of what was actually like revealed, I think that would be good. So one of the things was um, the tabloids had told us that Prince Harry and Duchess Meghan had chosen not to give Archie a prince title. And we found that in the interview that actually they were never given the opportunity to give him a prince title, even though it's the standard when you are a child of a future king. Um, we found out that Meghan was not given any Duchess training, so she had to learn the national anthem by herself. She had to learn how to sit by herself. She had to learn how to wave by herself and such like. Um, we found out, and I, everyone is obviously going to want us to hone in on the fact that there was apparently a conversation with Harry that there was questions about how dark their child would be. But I feel like that should be like the end point. There are so many other things that she said in between that I was just like, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, including that she felt depressed and she was suicidal. And when she asked the firm whether she could get therapy, they were like, that's not something we do around here. Yeah. And they also um, said- Other things include that- Go ahead, no, go ahead. They also said that um, one, as well as the fact that just her her, like, she basically went to the firm first, I believe, to try and get help. And they said, yep, yeah, this is not something we do here. So then she was like, obviously, we need to separate the institution from the family. So she then went to HR of the business side of it. And then they basically said, because you're not a paid member of staff, we can't offer you such privileges. Yeah. Um, in addition, myself. Uh, and this is all, <laughs> um, this is all before they officially stepped, um, wanted to step back, but, but then forced to step down. Um, other things include, there was a night where they went for a, um, a what do you call it, a charity event um, that they were making appearance for. And Harry was like, I think this was the day after she opened up to Harry and said, hey, I'm feeling super suicidal. Um, and he said, okay, you know what? You don't have to do this event. And she was like, if you leave me here by myself, you might not come back to me. Mm. Um, and I think the headlines the following day were like, oh, it's not protocol for them to hold hands and be super affectionate. And she let us know that actually they were holding hands for like out of like, what they call out of dear life. Like apparently they're not, yeah, not on. white with how hard they were gripping each other. She was fully pregnant. So there's all of that. This is even before they left. Do, does anyone want to touch on what happened after they left with the security and stuff? Um, I guess the only thing to add that also happened before was in the run-up to the wedding that the headlines were all about her making Kate cry and it actually turns out that Kate made her cry. Exactly. Um, I believe her. Because she um, didn't like the dresses for the wedding. Yeah, apparently. for the flower girls. Apparently so. And obviously on their arrival in America, I think, was it on the day of arrival? Um, suddenly, anyway, I didn't know the day. Um, Prince Harry's security. So bearing in mind the secu security was never for, for Meghan in the first place. They had made that clear to her. Um, but Prince Harry's security um, basically was taken away from him very suddenly. He didn't know. Um, as a result of that, on arrival, they had to try and find essentially um, refuge. And they found refuge. They sought refuge in Tyler Perry plot twist. Tyler Perry's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> accommodations there have been rumors that it was a couch but you know just people like to add it up but yeah so Tyler Perry was able to provide um refuge to the two and security uh, and security yep security and refuge yeah and actually even before that the reason why they needed security is because when they were in Canada the Daily Mail had actually exposed their right. exact location of where they lived yeah and Harry said it with his chest the Daily Mail revealed our location and mm -hmm. apparently he wrote a letter to the firm saying has the risk level changed and they were like no but now that you're no longer an official employee the risk is the same but our provision for security isn't yeah, yeah. so the thing about um one thing we'll touch on is that the, the different names were given so it's obviously got the family the firm and the institution um it's also very confusing as to which one is which who belongs to who who belongs to what um one of the points that we may not necessarily cover in the episode but it's just to talk about the fact that um, Harry mentioned that there was a time the Queen, his grandma, had invited him to come to her place to meet them. And um, her peoples basically got in contact with his peoples and said that she's all of a sudden busy. So the right thing, he he called her. He called her. Obviously, it's your grandma. You have her number, right? He called her and apparently she had said that she's busy for the rest of the week. Things like that just make you really, really... I understand that it's... Uh, th there seems to be no human element or compassion in this thing as a whole. It's like, it's almost like being 
a member of the royal family comes with being um being almost robotic in a way that if we compare it to UAE Dubai for example we've got that issue with the missing princess at the moment that idea of the missing princess comes down to obviously a, a, a very high level is obviously the dad being in control of a family just things that you get within a normal family institution but when we're thinking of the British the UK side of things being in this is just very robotic he said that his grandma listen if my grandma said that she's busy for the week, believe you me, I'm driving to her house and I'm running up in that place. You can't tell me otherwise. So like the, 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 the clear demarcations are just very, very odd. And it just seems like that whole thing where she was, she had to research and, and I get, I understand that. I think anybody that would go into the royal family, um, cause you're not gonna marry within your family, are you? Would have to get that level of training. And I understand that, but there are also things where people have said that certain things that she claims that she didn't do that you kind of would have done. Um, but I mean, hey, I live in the UK and I don't even know the, the national anthem, so. Yeah, I feel like- I think the key as well. thing as well though, with the grandma visit. No, go on, go on. Sorry, was that they, the point of the visit was that he had written a letter to the queen to say, hey, we want to step back. The context of that conversation was, let's figure out what our new role will look like since we just want to step down as senior royals, but there's other royals like Zara Phillips, like Princess Eugenie, Princess Beatrice, where they still have their titles, they still hold positions in the military or whatever their you know, official role within the institution is, but they're not senior royals, so they don't necessarily have to be patrons of charities, even though they wanted to continue to be. So for you to suddenly be busy when you know it's in context of a very important conversation mm. is crazy. For the palaces then say that they were blindsided, even though apparently they had the letter for what seems to be three weeks to a month before they came public with it, is crazy. And for them to be then forced to step down instead of step back, even though there are a bunch of royals that are working members and just don't want to have a senior position, but they chose to have an exception with these two, is very telling. You never mm. wanted a black person in the family or a biracial person in the family. You didn't think they were gonna make it all the way. They didn't make it all the way. She embraced her blackness with the black choir and the black preacher at your white church. And then you thought, okay, we're just gonna make her life hell because why would an American know what the British national anthem is? Yes, you can Google it, but if you can train Kate, who is British, then you can train Megan, who's not. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, like the, the, the most telling thing was when she said that they were willing to lie on behalf of people that they, they were basically willing to lie on behalf of some of the members of family, mm. but they weren't willing to tell the truth about her. And that one sentence really got me because I was just there like, raw man. Like when you really think about being fooled do you know what I mean like veils lifted and just thinking that these people that said that they were going to protect you have yeah. been to some extent conspiring against your greatness like she said that um assassinating her character so many phrases that were like bro like these are phrases that we use for big big things and the big big royal family are doing this to you like it's actually it's actually a bit crazy and I I, pers I pur purpose I personally think rather that their their use of the word firm family and people and all of that it, while she tried to separate them, the reality mm. of it is that there is an element of the fact that you can't, because with Cindy's example of what um, what Lizzie did, right? Um, <laughs> the fact that um, the whole like her people had called his people to say that she's busy, and then had then said she's busy for the whole week, and he then relayed the conversation as she, then she was like, as she saying, oh yeah, something's come up in my calendar, I didn't realize, and he's like, oh okay, are there any other days? And she was like it seems as though my whole calendar for the week is busy. Like when he said that, it was as though he said, and he even said in that moment, I knew. And it's like, that you can't take that, that's people because I can't, I think it was the person who wrote Diana's biography who said at some point in time, we have to remember that the person who holds the purse strings and pulls everything together is the queen. All roads lead to her door. So ultimately, things can change should she have wished them to change. Oh, definitely. And, and that's what Oprah was very shocked at. Oprah was very surprised. Oprah was like, but she's the queen. Surely she she has the power. And essentially, we believe she does. Hmm. Um, but then also throughout the whole interview, we got the impression that whilst she seemed like the villain from the outset, they spent a lot of the time really trying to protect her. 
um, which made you then question the others in the firm, the institution, you know, the ha the, the, the William, the, the backless, um, spineless brother, um, mm. the dad. Um, I mean, the dad that doesn't pick up his father's call, like things are just... Mm. And I, I, I was talking to I think aunt. for me as well with that, no, sorry, I was just going to say that um, with, with reference to the family, we know that they have to protect the Queen because it's still the Queen of England and last, last, they will kill you off. We've seen it happen before, right? So when he was referring to her as my grandma, I felt like he was trying to soften her image because like you said, even if she does have advisors, she's the Queen. Like we look at, if we can, if we can use by analogy, um, the president, when they have the executive orders, yes, they are answerable to the House of the Senate and the House of Representatives and all the other houses, or in the UK, we've got the House of Lords and we've got the and Parliament. But ultimately, the Prime Minister or the President still has a level of authority. And based on the fact that, you know, Megan said something that I found very striking. Well, two things. One, that every Christmas, the palace hosts the press. So there's that symbiotic relationship where we do good to you, so you do good to us. But if we're hosting you in our house and you still feel it's okay to bully and vilify Megan, at some point, those free meals at Christmas got to stop until you're in line. Harry <laughs> yeah. was like, oh, um, that's not how it works, that you know, if they decide to turn on us, then that, but can it's they really? Can, can, so my first question is, can they really? But second, um, Oprah at the end of the interview asked, oh, what's your biggest regret? And Harry was like, I have no regrets. You know, I've looked after my family best way I could, blah, blah, blah. And Megan replied saying, my biggest regret was believing them when they said they would protect me. Mm. If I had managed my expectations, then maybe I would have been able to handle the situation better, but I had my defenses down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know what changed between them dating, them getting engaged, them getting married, and then her having a kid because we, we definitely saw it amplified from what, once she got pregnant. She was holding her belly, all of a sudden, oh my God, Megan is actually like she's the only pregnant person in the world when she's holding her belly. When Kate was holding, oh, look how cute it is. Mm. Um, when Megan was eating avocado, oh, she's part of the reason why there's global yeah. warming because of the avocado farming. <laughs> but when Kate did it, oh, look at this whole new revolutionary vegan way to update mm. your healthy lip. Like, I just, I, the queen is not blameless. Charles is definitely the one that said, how black is the baby gonna be? Or William. He said that William and, yeah. uh, well, he said that him and William are currently enjoying space and he believes time will heal. Yeah. Um, but William is also the cheating brother. So do you really wanna have a brother like that? Oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah. I think for me, like the sentences that, that spoke loud, yeah. This relationship, the relationship, is space i was th that one that one i'm gonna use i'm gonna use that phrase that phrase right there it speaks loud um was one that i definitely took away i think for me also like i i just remember sitting there thinking to myself like because so to clarify the thing that we didn't see on the itv interview was actually that into information about the conversation that happened between prince harry and um lizzie um in terms of him saying can i come and she said no um not right now or not now that was the thing that we didn't see now in terms of what you say about the press and so on i had a conversation with my auntie about this um who definitely she follows the royals a lot um and we were talking about it and she was saying that um at some point in time you have to think about um who's next in line for the throne right she said don't think about it in terms of queen queen like the queen of england and so on and so forth just think about it in terms of what what they are trying to portray and what the job of the institution is to portray, it is to portray a fairy tale, right? At every point in time, because in that way, you can keep you can keep colonies in line and you can keep the empire, you can keep the notion of the empire and you can keep the idea that Britain is in fact great, right? That we can somehow be the leaders of democracy with a, with a monarchy at the same time, right? So all of it is about pretense. So, in terms of how they kept Kate and they'll make sure that they always keep her, the reality of it is that she at some point in time could be queen. So nothing can ever take away from her character. Um, but what Meghan said, and that in all of that, that makes sense, right? But what Meghan said was that you don't have to hate me to love her. And that is what the media have decided to do. And equally, what that institution has decided to do to her. 
So whilst people might say we're playing the race card, at some point in time, Harry said she would have been one of the most powerful assets. He used the word asset, right? He used the word asset in the idea of like her work with mm-hmm. all of the colonies. Mm-hmm. Like people could see it, but at some point in time, you have to think race speaks louder. Racism because speaks- if you have a, a if you have an image of power that is black, then that gives representation, right? And representation gives hope. And then suddenly the blacks won't know their place. Is how I accept it. Is that is how I see it. Like, yeah. what's the real reason why they would hate somebody that's biracial? What is the because okay, so there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I'll quickly say and then Cindy, I know that we haven't really let you speak, so I'll shut up. But one was um, I guess my only criticism if we can call it that is i felt like they were over egging the whole commonwealth thing i don't know what Meghan Markle was done for the black community point blank period so i don't know what was suddenly going to change with her now being the representation of commonwealth two what's so common about the wealth it's just old empire you still have our stuff in your museums let it go three um from what i could tell they were mainly advocates for mental health during their time and actually what they could have done was they could have spun it into being mental health advocates which obviously William and Harry had started with their charity before then Kate joins then Megan joined then they split but last but not least I think what was most uncomfortable for me if you will is how willing and ready they were for her to be suicidal Mm as a black woman, but I'm sure Kate would have had similar feelings when she found out that her husband was sleeping with her friend, but they protected them. I don't like the idea that you can protect one and keep them in an ivory tower and everything is hunky-dory when there's actually something wrong. Mm. When, I mean, and obviously Harry and, and I pray that they don't divorce because that would be the worst thing because he's, he's scattered everything. He's shunned everyone. He's cut off everybody. But in a situation where there actually wasn't an issue, wasn't an issue, you made an issue. Why are we finding out about um, a, a PA or a secretary or staff that got pissed off that, about the way Megan spoke to them three years ago now? Yeah. Two years ago now. Why are we finding that out? Yeah. Why? But and Kate they- has run through how many people? We don't know. Yeah. Kate, that Sorry, Cindy. Like Go on. No, no, no. I just feel like there were a lot of things that were telling. Like, one thing for me, and I'll keep saying it, I just want to know, what is the reason? It's not race, so they claim. What is the reason? What has she done that is so bad? When did it go wrong? What has she done? Say it. I've not heard anything. I know it's (laughs) not because of avocados that these people are throwing helter-skelter. Like, things just... What is the reason? Yeah. Like, honestly, what is the reason? And you know what people are saying? Like, it's so true because whenever you look at the tweets that have gone, and I don't think it's gone viral because all of us have been liking it to to um, to um, further showcase the stupidity of the tweets, right? But realistically, a lot of the tweets have been around people going, I don't know what it is about Megan, but that's how, that is literally... I just don't I, like her. Can't put my I'm, finger on it. Just don't like her. Literally, literally. That has been the common narrative. And someone said this actually, and we'll move on to Good Morning Britain in a minute, that said that Good Morning Britain, the two of them are the perfect portrayal of British society, right? That you have the one Mm -hmm. white man that opens his mouth and shouts about everything and anything because he has a little bit of information and the silent white woman- And privilege. Yeah, and privilege. And the silent woman right next to him, and white woman right next to him. And when you think about it, like, so on the Black Card Talks, again, many plugs, not trying to, but we've been on this, but um, we interviewed two black people that work in like journalism in newsrooms, right? To ask them like, what happens in there, right? And the thing that we got from that interview was basically that they said, if if the editor does not think it's a story, it's not a story. So you could be in a position. So they gave an example of them saying that this prominent black figure has just made X amount of money from this sale. Person said, I don't know who that black figure is, so it can't be news. That's how the story was just tossed out like that, right? This is the reality of what is happening. Yeah, I've seen it in Being Mary Jane and stuff like that as well. Yeah, so like this is the reality of what's happening in those newsrooms. This, this is the reality of how the press are coming to be. And for some reason, the British public are still surprised about the reason that they don't know quite why, right? 
like one of the stories my auntie was talking about, she was like, she said that Meghan Markle has made millions off Netflix, right? And we're all sitting there, all like within our own echo chamber, we're sitting there like, go on, leave them, get your money, let's go. But the news article that was also written was something along the lines of Harry and Meghan run to Netflix to create documentary after being cut off from the royal family. Like, why do you not think you don't like her? Can you not see? <laughs> like, can you really not see it? It's, it's alarming. It's alarming that British people could be. But also the information we have, right? Like, how were they supposed to feed themselves, clothe themselves, if they weren't living on Princess Diana's Vex money, her inheritance money? Why would you leave a prince inheritance money? We know that the Spencers come from a long line of that colonial money, so they're not guilt-free either. But why would you leave a prince inheritance money? You knew something was going to happen. And the fact that people are upset that she's got the Netflix deal, she's got the Spotify deal, they have the Disney deal. They've been cut off. Yeah. What do you want them to do? I mean, either ways, I'm sure they've financially, they've, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it works, where their money comes from, or even how the queen gets paid, how much she gets paid, where the money even comes from. But the from reality our taxes. is- From our, from our taxes. And from the lands that she owns. Really, yeah. it's mad. It's techie. Um, it's also like one thing that we saw that was really nice of um, Harry is that obviously when, when that, that funny episode of Jay-Z hugging Megan and that, that awkward touch, um, but at that same time is when he's pitching to, is it the Disney CEO? When he's just like, oh, Disney. you know, yeah. yeah, my wife does voiceovers. Uh, aside of everything that we've been speaking about now, it's just one of those things, you know, when you've got a partner that actually fully, and I don't want to, I'm not one of those girls person, but when you see it is that you've got somebody that fully supports your vision and your dreams. This guy, the potential could have been King of England is speaking to the CEO of Disney telling him, oh, my wife does voiceovers. Do you know how lit that is like she wasn't even party to the conversation she was literally speaking to Beyonce and Jiggerman and you've got your guy like just doing the most for you and I, I, I mean it's a bare minimum let me not praise a fish for swimming but um it's just <laughs> like something like that well when you think about it in the grand scheme of things when it's you look sweet. at reputation it yeah. is actually quite a big deal because at the end of the day you are the potentially a future king and you're asking for a job for your for your wife but mm. yeah um the interview was very very it's sad I, I hear it it's sad to listen to it's sad to watch it's even sadder when there are people that don't even listen to what is being said and they're just automatically on the offense and we say it a number of times a lot of people are always offended at the idea of being racist than what actual racism is and we can compare it to all the other isms that are out there and the icks we've said it before there was a comment that was made on loose women i believe I don't know if it was oh, casual racism. Was it casual was it loose women? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, her mouth was loose. So she made the idea of casual racism. And, you know, I quoted um, somebody that I follow, a guy called Ade, um, saying that we don't get that with with like homophobia, like ho ho homo ho is it homophobia? Um um semitism, anti-Semitism. We don't get it with we don't get the le the luxury of having casual versions of it because the world is so outraged by the idea mm. of it in the first place why is it when it comes to racism we're allowed for it to be casual it's okay we can yeah. irrespective of whether it's casual or not it is still wrong so that it put you can't just silo the fact that it's okay you know they're an old person educate them we get that it's going to mm. happen at the end of the day we can't deny the fact that they've been brought up like this and whatnot and even with somebody said it um yeah i just think that it's just it's very, it's another time again where as a black person you sit, or as a person, I'll say as a person of color, because I think no matter how we try to, we can say obviously, obviously she's benefited from the privilege of going in and thinking that she would pass off for them. At the end of the day, we see it with our own eyes, irrespective mm. of the shades of black, whether you're mixed race or black, you are not you're going to be different. And this is a prime example, because I see a lot of people, they've capped their sympathy. I don't just don't think now is the time to do that because it's a prime example that even as white as she looks, some people said they didn't mm. even know that she had black in her. As white as she looks, the, the disrespect, the racism is there based on the fact that she is just, it's even almost the perception of her being different because from all the reports of how people describe her, her friends, even Harry, is like she's coming as somebody that 
she's not even coming on a height. That's the term I'm going to use. But it's the, it's the idea that potentially she has that ability to just disrupt the whole family. What mm. is it they're afraid of? What is mm. it that they're afraid of? That she's going to hang um, Jamaican flags all over the, 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 <laughs> the Africa, uh, Nigerian flags. Oh, I, I, what, what are you so scared of? Yeah, yeah. I've never I just don't understand why I feel like when, when it comes to racism I'm on a tangent now because I'm angry is that they're more scared at the fact that we're free and they hate that it's like they almost believe that we don't have a right to be free. we don't have a right to have a voice we don't have a right to be this outspoken we should almost just be grateful for existing and that is still the mentality that these people need to get out of their head because it's not gonna run. It's really not gonna run. And I feel like it's because you've not been tumped, you've not been clapped. We've always dealt with racism in a way like, oh my God, you're racist. When it gets to a point, yeah, I'm telling you the younger generation, they're not here for it. When it gets to a point, you're gonna get slapped up every time you're racist. Let's have a conversation. You know, I think as well, like, um, and like, yeah, looking to sort of wrap this up because we could do this, we could do this for a long, long time. It's draining. I don't even yeah. want to. It's draining. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a word. I think like, yeah, like you said, obviously, um, people are more um, insulted at the idea of being called a racist than actually the insult that I could have or we could have from the racist um, incident that you just put me through. It's the reality. And the reason, the reason I feel like this always comes down to this, it can be nothing other than the innate or overt nature that is white supremacy. Because I think too often, I've said this so many times, too often we make that term seem as though it's only for people that wear KKK hoods, but actually it is anyone that feels like white is right and the traditional and the British way of doing things, be that democracy, be that anything that the, the Western world, which is the white world, has decreed and put on other countries is the way things should be. That fundamental principle of feeling that that, that way of doing things is better is white supremacy, right? Because actually difference isn't wrong, it's just different. Now, when you think about the nature of the, and we talked about this so many times that Britain are comfortable with the idea of being tolerant and not accommodating, it seeps into the people, right? People, you th th those, are the, those are the values of Britain to be tolerant, as though you can be who you are over there as long as it doesn't affect me. So what that means is naturally, I have a stake to say, I don't think the way you are being you is right. It's white supremacy. It mm. feeds into every aspect of what they do and they don't even know it. And that is essentially the reason why we end up in situations where we can talk about casual racism, but we can't talk about casual anything else because everything else could be a white person. I hear that. I hear that. Sometimes it's not even when you're in their space, when there's no threat, it's just sheer hate. It is absolutely shit hate. Every I've seen the screenshots from the WhatsApp groups where they're like, she's lying, she should be grateful. Any other girl would love to be in her position. Mm. Literally, literally, literally. Um, okay. <laughs> no, yeah. let's see. I just, I, I, just in closing, I just feel like it really sparks a question. The reality is, and it's a closing question, just to round it up. If you are in a relationship with somebody with the intention of getting married and you have your face with a family that doesn't essentially like you, are you proceeding with the relationship or are you cutting ties? Ooh. Gracie, you go. Oh no, you go. <laughs> I feel like I just had closing words on that other bit. Come on, Gracie, give us your knowledge and your wisdom. Shall I, shall I give my opinion? Just yeah. run the question by me again. So it's yeah, what we see in this is that we've got a family that doesn't necessarily like the person that you're dating or marrying or intending to marry. How strongly or how how what's your willpower basically like obviously in this situation? Are you willing to fight for what essentially is the marriage between you and your new family, um, i.e. your husband, with the intention that maybe that old family will get cut off? Or is it something that you're just not involved in being a part of? It is very, one. it's a quite a hard question because also it's also down to the part or the role that your partner plays in it as well. Yeah. Um, you may even make the decision to leave, but it is, um, for me, I find it very emotionally draining. Um, well, I say it like I've experienced it, but I mean, I, I feel like I've experienced a situation whereby even just being Nigerian, the person wasn't that there was the perceived idea that the family wouldn't accept it. And I think even being in that situation, it wasn't even anything that was brought to my 
my attention like that I feel like that was enough for me to really to really not want to be a part of it and in that same situation I don't think the person themselves to not fault them actually initially they made an attempt to conceal that that could have been a problem which I guess that helped but then in the grand scheme of things it wasn't a, a part or a position that I ever felt that I wanted to be in and I don't think I, I ever could Um, yeah, I, I think I would feel uncomfortable with making my partner choose between his family and me. Mm-hmm. So just given the legacy um, that they have as a bloodline, I think I would just, as much as I love the person, I'd step back and say, you know what, it might be the right love, it might be the wrong time. Um, because if, if he's not protecting me, then you're right, it's just going to be suffering. But equally, if he chooses me instead of the family, he's also going to suffer. Um because there is a camaraderie or there is a bond that you have with family. Um, even if you don't speak to them for 10, 20, 30 years, it can weigh on you differently. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be the one in that, in that decision. I think as well as females, usually we're marrying into a family and usually the male culture is what's dominant, usually, sometimes, maybe. So yeah, I also wouldn't want to marry into a family that could be using Babalawa on me next tomorrow. So yeah okay keep your judge um i think for me um like i think in all of my years of you guys love to call me the diplomatic person and so on and so forth um and everyone knows that i'm really family orientated and so on but i think at the root of me is what is right and what is wrong and i never really thought I, i think if you had asked me this question two years ago i would never turn on family um, do you know what I mean? Because it, it's too much stress. They know you, all of those things um, that you use as um, understandable reasons for allowing it to be easier for everyone. But I think sometimes when you really think about what family is made of, it's people, right? It's people that definitely want the best for you, but to some extent could be as rooted as some of these casual racists and so on in their wrong beliefs and like I don't know if I can I'm definitely the sort of person that I need to I need situations to be done so I know I can move on and I don't know if I could ever have to turn away from love and really step back into that family wholeheartedly knowing that they were the ones who instigated that for anything other than their version of reality if there's truth behind it I'll listen if it's just based on your perception of things I think at that point in time, I don't know if I can, I don't know, I, I think I could, I could, I could squale, um, personally. Yeah, um, that very, very strong points there made. Um, it, I think, um, I mean, I was going to ask a follow-up question, but I think it's too deep-rooted. I would love to know, we always love to know what you guys, our audience, think of the topics that we've discussed. Obviously, this one we spoke about, um, Harry and Meghan and the Oprah winter interview. Um, let us know your comments, whether or not you could sit if you've ever been in a situation whereby you've had to make the decision um, to leave or stay, fight or fly, as they say. And and I actually would love to know the audience's opinion as to whether or not they feel that um, Meg made or Meg contributed to um, Harry making such a decision to step down from the family, whether she had a major part in it or whether he, as an adult, um, made that decision himself. Yeah, let us know what you think below. Or whether, whether love had the part to play. They yeah, and we, I mean, after all of this, ah, they better stay together to the oh, very end. No, I think one, one final thing I would say on all of this is, like, I don't think we've, in all of the conversations that we've had about this, and just really quickly to wrap up, we've talked about the situation and not praised Megan for how much she has done for black women in this situation. Because irrespective of whether she wanted to or she didn't want to, inadvertently, she has showcased colorism. She has showcased the idea that, she has showcased everything that we needed to know about misogynistic men, the press and so on and so forth. Her story will ring true loud and give us a point of reference Mm -hmm. um, for years to come. And whether she wanted to do that or she didn't, irrespective. She's been a Rosa Parks in this situation. She's definitely, um, and that's why I still feel a bit shocked at the fact that obviously some people's sympathy is capped. Like it's not, you know, I'll always have this conversation. However, just on a final, final point, a lot of people have called out um, certain 
biracial women um, for not having anything to say on a situation like this, because obviously when it comes to other roles and uh, issues that black women are facing, they were there to take up um, positions where, um, you know, those truly affected by it weren't. But anyway, that's another story for another day. <laughs> Maybe even a clubhouse conversation, but we'll let you know about that pepper then soon. I can't. <laughs> Those are socials. Make sure you guys follow us across all our social platforms. You can find obviously Frobeats at Frobeats on Instagram and Twitter. Individually, I am Cindy. My Instagram handle is Cindy Temi. My Instagram handle is Ola Aweo. <laughs> Underscore Grace Humay. And we are Frobeats Podcast. Frobeats Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. That's yeah. it. See you next week. It's a wrap.